Amen. Amen. Thank you, Josh and worship team for leading us in worship this morning. Can we just give another hand of praise to our Lord and Lord, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Can we do that? Thank you. That was good. Thank you this morning. Well, if you have your Bibles with you today, and I'm sure that you do, thank you for having your Bibles with you. I want you to turn uh, to the New Testament book of Acts as we are continuing our series uh, called Acts, the Unstoppable uh, Church. We are going to look at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 uh, through uh, 7. And um, if you were with us uh, last week, um, or you watched online this week, you'd probably say something like this. You'd probably say, well, Pastor, I thought we were in Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 7 last week, to which I'd say, you are absolutely right. And you may ask this question, then why are we here again? Why are we in these verses again when I would say, well, um, that's a really, really good question, but um, let, let me share with you what one of my mentors told me when it came to studying and to preaching God's Word. He said this, don't quit studying until you find something you've never seen before because you can never exhaust the Word of God. Amen? You can never exhaust the Word of God. And so, uh, as we look in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, there's some other things that, that I want to share with you that I was not able to share um, uh, last week because uh, God's Word is rich. Amen? God's Word is rich. Another mentor, a uh, friend of mine, one time told me this. He said, Chris, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. Amen? It, it is just true, and he went on to say this, he said this, dusty Bibles lead to dirty lives. Can I get an amen on that one? Dusty Bibles lead to dirty lives. Well, well anyways, just wanted to share that with you, but Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, and today I want to talk to you about leadership. The church and leadership. Um, leadership is a hot topic today. Would you agree with that? It's a hot topic today, especially in the city of Lubbock, Texas, which is the home of the losing Texas Tech Red Raiders. They lost in double overtime last night, and their dreams and my dreams of an undefeated season came crashing to a halt last night. And so leadership is a big topic at Texas Tech today. Why did they lose? Well. I can give you multiple reasons if you want me to tell you, but I don't think you're interested in that this morning. But next week, on a side note, next week, uh, Texas Tech plays Oregon. It's not that funny. Uh, but there's a, a church member of, of ours named uh, uh, Guido. He and his wife Joy help in our Wednesday night services, and Guido just happens to be an Oregon Duck fan. So last week, he and I had a little bet, don't gamble in church, but he and I had a bet. He said, whoever wins, then that means the other person has to wear the winning team colors. Guess what color I'm going to be wearing next week, probably. How do I look in green and gold? Well, anyways, leadership. Let's talk about leadership and what the Bible has to say about leadership. I want you to look with me in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. It's actually on the screen. You don't have to turn to it. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14 says this. Without wise leadership, a nation is in trouble. Can I get a loud amen from the Republicans and the Democrats on that one? Amen. 
without wise leadership, a nation is in trouble. I can stand before you today, and almost every American can stand before you today and see these words. We are in what? Trouble, with a capital T. We are in trouble. Well, scripture says, without wise leadership, a nation is in trouble. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 2 says this, when a country is rebellious, it has many rulers, but a ruler with discernment and knowledge maintains order. Well, these two verses, Proverbs 11 and Proverbs 28, they sum up quite well this idea of leadership. And you've heard a phrase like this before that says this, that everything rises and falls with leadership. How many of you have ever heard that phrase before? Everything rises and falls with leadership. And, and you know, and really that's, that's true in every single area of our lives. Think about this, without wise leadership, families are in trouble. Without wise leadership, businesses are in trouble. Without wise leadership, our community is in trouble. Without wise leadership, a church is in trouble. Look what Proverbs 28.2 says in a different translation than I one read just a few minutes ago, but listen to this in the New Living Translation. When there, is a, when there is moral rot within a nation, its government topples easily. Wow. But wise and knowledgeable leaders bring stability. If there's ever been a moment in our history for our nation to need stability, today is the day. Amen? Are you with me? I want you, I want you to say amen loud like you really meant it. Today, if we need stability, today is the day. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen. We need stability. What's the Bible's solution to stability for a country? Wise leaders. That's the solution. But we also need wise leadership, godly leadership in our homes. We need it in our businesses. We need it in our churches. We need godly leadership. Well, what does our text say about leadership and specifically, what does it say about church leadership? And this is important in the life of our church as we're going through deacon selections and what that means, what that looks like. What do we need to look in a man for a, to choose them as a deacon? Well, we have to go to what the Word says and let the Word be our guide. And this is extremely important in, in churches to understand the leadership and even polity to a degree. Now, whenever I bring up the word polity in a sermon, typically that will tell your mind, well, I just need to fall asleep in this. But I want to encourage you today to not fall asleep when we talk about church leadership, because this is important. This is extremely important in the life of a church. It's important on, on multiple levels. Well, let me give you one reason why it's important that we talk about church leadership and what a church believes about leadership. Today, we have a... a um, a growing number of people that, that go across denominational lines when they go to churches. Does that make sense? They'll go to a Methodist church one week, a Baptist church one week, a Catholic church one week, and uh, whatever. And so you cross over denominational lines. Well, what you need to understand is denominations have different ideas, uh, different interpretations of what, of what biblical leadership is and who are the offices of the church. And, and I'm just going to let you know, it makes a big deal. It's a big deal 
when it comes to what you believe about church leadership and who is called, who's not called, how are they called, and what does God look for when that man, and in some cases that lady, what is God looking for in a leader within a church? This is a big deal to understand what does God really say about leadership and specifically about church leadership. Now, let me, let me make this other statement as well. Some of you, you may have the potential in this message to say something like this in your mind. Well, you know, I'm really not a leader in the church, so therefore I really don't have to pay attention to this message. Well, let me just share this with you. The prophet Hosea, in Hosea chapter 4, verse 9, Hosea said this. Hosea, uh, God through Hosea was telling, the, uh, telling uh, the church and his people, he's saying, listen, you guys are rejecting me. You are rebelling against me. And then God says this, the reason you are rebelling and rejecting me is because your priests have been doing the same thing. And in Hosea chapter 4, verse 9, God says this, like people, like priest. Does that make sense? Like people, like priest. In other words, the people, godly leaders, uh, they, whomever they lead, the people they lead are going to look like that leader. To which you say to yourself at First Baptist Church, Brunswick, I never wanted to be a Texas Tech Red Raider fan in my life. Hold on to that. But Paul even said to his followers, he said, you follow my example as I follow Christ. Are you with me this morning? This matters. So let's read our text and let's find out what God's word has to say. And this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. I want you to stand your feet as we read God's word. Follow along in your copy, and it says, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren or brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And this statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, the Kenner, Timon, whose brother's name is Pumba, <laughs> Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. And in verse 7, the word of God kept on spreading. And the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. You may have a seat, and let me pray for us as you have a seat. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Father God, that we would um, sit under your word, and we would abide by your word, and that you would show us 
mighty and wonderful things from your word. And Father, we say thank you. We say thank you for revealing yourself to us through your divinely inspired word. Speak, Holy Spirit. Speak to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Acts chapter 6. Many of you are familiar with this text. We read it last week, but this is a very popular and famous text, especially when it comes to the choosing of, of, of deacons. But, but what I want you to see in Acts 6, 1 through 7 is this, is that the early church uh, held its leaders to a high moral and ethical standard. Would you agree with that statement? That the early church held them to the highest of moral and ethical standards. And nowhere is that more clear than here in Acts chapter 6. Because here's what we just read. We read that Luke um, recorded how the first leaders were identified and chosen to assist the apostles. Now, just from our text, why did the apostles need assistance? There's two simple reasons why the 12, the early disciples, the apostles, why they needed assistance. Number one was this. The church was growing at a rapid pace, and the 12 apostles, they could not keep up with the organization. It was rapid growth. If you and I were to take a few moments to go back from Acts 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, and we were to look at how many times it says that the, that the church increased, we would see just in six chapters, it would have said this eight different times that the church increased. But every time it says the church increased, it was in relation to the apostles preaching the word of God. So whenever, listen, so whenever the word of God is preached, what happens to the church? It what? It grows. Whenever God's word is faithfully proclaimed and it is preached and you stand on God's word alone and nothing else, not tradition, not man's opinion, not culture, when you stand and preach and teach God's word, here's what happens to the church. It grows numerically. That's what happens. And this is what happens here in Acts chapter 6. The church is growing at a rapid pace, and the 12 apostles, they cannot keep up. They need help with the oversight of this growing community. They need help to organize this organism. They need help. That's one reason why they um, selected seven men to assist them. A second reason why they helped or asked seven men to help them is because of this. There was a problem that arose within the early church here in Acts 6. We know the complaint from the Hellenistic Jews about the native Hebrew Jews and about the widows who were being overlooked. The reality was this. This problem threatened the apostles' primary responsibility. At stake at this problem was the disciples, the possibility of having them to stop preaching the word of God in order to take care of people. Everybody with me? That was what was at stake. The disciples had a problem on their hand. They wanted to solve it, but they knew that when God's word is preached, there is growth. If we pull away from God's word being preached, then that may keep the church from growing. Does that mean they are negating the, the seriousness of serving tables? No, not at all. They're both very, very extremely important. You got to have both of them, but the apostle said, no, we got to keep doing this. We need help doing other things. So what you see in the early church is this, you see a plural of leaders. 
You do not see this lone um, uh, pastor. You don't see a lone, um, an elder. You don't see a lone overseer of the church. You don't see that in Scripture. What you see is you see a plurality of people working together for the common good. What's the common good? To preach the gospel and to meet needs. That's what you see in the early church. Everybody with me? Are you bored yet? Well, let me bore you some more. Not really, but here's what we see. So we see this, 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 this call for assistance. Now, what many of us have been taught, and I will confess I have been taught what I'm about to share with you as well, but as I continue to dig in Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7, as I continue to dig, as I continue to read, as I continue to study, here's what you do not find in Acts 6, 1 through 7, but it's what you and I have been taught and what we believe. I don't think it's necessarily wrong, but it's just the wrong text. Here, you do not see a call to the office of deacon. Nowhere in Acts 6, 1 through 7 is there a call to set up the office of deacon. Now before you throw me out of the church, before you throw me out, because I, I'm telling you, this is what I believe for a long time until I start reading it. You don't see the call to the office of deacon here. That comes later in 1 Timothy chapter 3, that comes later in Philippians, but you don't find it here. But what you do find is you find the character of the leaders that are to be called. That's what you find. You find the character of a church leader. As a matter of fact, I want you to write this down. Write this down because this is key to understanding where we're going to go over the next 75 minutes. The foundation of the early church, the foundation of early church leadership was character, not charisma nor capabilities. I want y'all to hear that, church. Leaders, I want you to hear this because some of you in leadership, um, in business, in community, um, at homes, you're, you're leaders, but listen. The foundation for godly leadership is not charisma nor your capabilities. We do not read in our text anything that says of these seven men that we're going to look at in just a few seconds. We don't read anything of these seven men that said, oh man, they, had, they were outgoing. They were, uh, they, were, uh, they were the life of the party or you don't see any of that or you don't read any of their capabilities. But what you read about is their character. You read about their character. And your character is the basis for godly leadership. So let me share four of those things with you this morning, okay? I just want to share four. This may be more like a class today, all right? Where you take notes and then we give you a pop quiz at the end, all right? And there's going to be some more teaching here, but I want you to stay with me. Y'all awake? Four things about godly leadership that we see in the church, and then when it comes to selecting leaders in our church, which means, by the way, which means deacons, but it also means your pastoral staff that, that over times we have to select those. Well, there are certain things we have to look for, and this is what the text says. Here's four things, and I want you to write these down on the bill on the screen. Here's number one. A godly leader, a godly leader is committed to Christ and to the church. 
The first characteristic trait that you want to see in a godly leader is this. They must be committed to Christ and to the church. Acts chapter 6, verse 3, it says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, select from among you these seven men. So the very first thing that, that Luke tells us in our text, when it comes to selecting godly men for uh, uh, leadership and service positions, the first thing he tells you is this, that these men must be committed to Christ and to the church. In other words... If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, you are disqualified from church leadership. It's pretty simple, right? But if you don't believe in the teachings of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are disqualified from being a church leader. Because the first characteristic trait that you've got to have to be a church leader and really to be a godly leader is you've got to be committed to Christ and to the church. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2 with me, please. Ephesians chapter 2. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. This is Paul writing. Uh, look at verse number 19. It's on the screen behind me as well. But Ephesians 2 verse 19. I want you to listen to these words and listen to what Paul has to say. He says this, so then you, Ephesians, now who is Paul writing to? He's writing to the saints, the believers in Ephesus. What's a saint? A saint is somebody who is committed to Christ. He says, so then you saints, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Again, you're committed to Christ. And look at that last line. And you are of God's household. That phrase, God's household, it's the Greek word oikos. And do you know what it literally means? It means church. It means church. So a godly leader, a, 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 a spiritual leader, a, a church leader, they first must be committed to Christ and they must be committed to the local church, which means in order to be, especially here at our church, in order to be a leader in our church, you have to be a member of our church. No, you say, why, pastor, why do you have to be a member of our church? Because the context of a leader is this. You are a committed follower of Christ, and you're a committed member of God's household, which is the church. Now, that word church, ecclesia, in the New Testament, it's used over 100 times. 80 times that word ecclesia is used, it references a local church. God's motive, or excuse me, God's um, uh, way to operate in the church today is through the local church. This is us. It's how we operate together. And so a godly leader, a church leader, is to be committed to Christ and to the church. Everybody with me? Look at your neighbor and say, wake up. Here's number two. <clears throat> A godly leader is a person of integrity. Go back to Acts chapter 6, verse 3. A godly leader is a person of integrity. Luke wrote, Therefore, brothers and sisters, select from you seven men of what? A good reputation. That phrase, good reputation, means this, that you are well thought of inside the church and outside the church. You are of good reputation. And another word for reputation is a man or is a person of integrity. 
You're going to be a leader. You are going to be a godly leader. You have to be a person of integrity. I remember several years ago, um, I, along with about six other guys, we went to, um, we spent the day with Dan and Bubba Kathy. You ever ever heard those names? Dan and Bubba Kathy, and we spent a day with them at the Chick-fil-A leadership headquarters, Chick-fil-A headquarters in, in Atlanta, and we were studying leadership. And I'll never forget, we were all sitting around this big, huge mahogany table, and, and Dan Cathy was t- uh, talking and, and teaching us about integrity. And every time he talked about integrity, he, he hit the table. He just kept hitting the table over and over again as he talked about integrity. And he said, he said, men, he said, integrity is just being true through and through. And he just kept hitting the table, and he said, it's like this table. He said, this table is made of mahogany all the way through, and it's about that thick. He said, this table is one piece of wood. It is not one layer of wood and then some fabricated wood. It is all one piece of wood. It is true through and through. He said, that's integrity. And if you were to look up the definition of integrity in a dictionary, um, you would find that the word that goes along with integrity is this, is this, it's wholeness. That you are true through and through, which means you're honest, you're, you're, you, you speak truth, you don't hold anything back. You are a person of integrity, and God thinks highly of integrity. Now, let me share some verses with you when it comes to integrity. They're on the screen for you, but you want to write down these verses. Write down Psalm 78, 72. And this is about David. And listen to what God says about David. He said, David shepherded them, the nation of Israel, according to the what? The integrity of his heart. Meaning he shepherded, he led the nation out of the wholeness of his heart. But pastor, I thought David had some mess ups. Absolutely he had some mess ups. Godly leadership, church leadership is not without mess ups but it's about the heart and about integrity. And God said, of David, he shepherded my people with integrity. That was a key component of his leadership. First Kings chapter nine, God talks about David's son, Solomon. And in first Kings chapter nine, verses four and five, God says to Solomon, he says, as for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, now how did David walk? With integrity. God says, Solomon, if you walk as as your father, my father David walked in the integrity of the heart, verse 5 says this, then I will be with you. God says, Solomon, you are the leader of the nation, and if you walk like your dad walked with integrity of heart, I will be with you, and I will establish your throne in Israel forever. That's what it says in verse number 5. God told Solomon, integrity matters. You do what's right. You tell the truth. You, be able, you, you should be able to live a life where that you can look everybody in the eye and you don't have to blink because you know why? You're telling the truth. And you've heard the old adage, if you tell a lie, you got to tell another lie to keep up what? The lie. And you just keep on this lie. No, no, no. A man, a person of integrity is you tell the truth. truth. You look people in the eye and say, no, here it is. Did Solomon do this? No, he didn't. And what did God do? He removed him from the throne. Because God values integrity. Well, I can see that you're enjoying these scriptures so much. Let me give you some more. 
First Chronicles chapter 29, again, this is David. David says this, since I know, oh my God, that you try the heart and you delight in uprightness, I in the integrity of my heart have done these things. What do we learn from this text about what God says about integrity? Here's what we know, and this is what's tough when it comes to leadership. Here's what we find out in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. God searches your heart. Everybody in this room, God, through the Holy Spirit, which is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit searches your heart, and he tries you, and he tests you, and he wants to find uprightness, and he wants to find integrity in your life. Well, here's the last text. We're going to get on past integrity, because I think I'm beating this uh, pretty good. But Nehemiah chapter 7, if you want to study leadership, Nehemiah is the man to study great leader. But in Nehemiah chapter 7 verse 2, this is what Nehemiah said. He said, I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of, what's that word? Integrity. And he feared God more than most men. So leaders, you be a person of integrity. And here's what, according to that text, Nehemiah 7.2, it says, if you are a person of integrity, there's a great possibility that you're going to give, you be given leadership. you got to have integrity, which means you are whole. You are true through and through. You are honest. So number one, a godly leader from Acts chapter 6 is this. It is a person who's committed to Christ and the church. The second thing is this. You are committed uh, to being a person of integrity. And the third thing that we see in our text is this, that godly leaders are spirit-filled and they are wise. They are spirit-filled and wise. Look back at Acts chapter 6, verse 3. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. Now, why did these seven men need to be full of the Spirit and full of wisdom? They had a problem. They had a problem in the church, and they needed to solve the problem, and they needed the Holy Spirit to help them solve the problem. Because here's what happens with a godly leader. A godly leader always goes to the Holy Spirit to help him or her make a wise decision. So, so what does that mean for you as a godly leader? What does that mean? It means this, whenever a situation arises, you go to the Father and you ask for wisdom. You seek out what His will is, which really means when you seek out God's will, it really means you study God's Word. You want to know what God wants, you want to know what God has to say about a situation, I'm telling you, it is all right here. Godly leaders lead and gain wisdom and instruction and direction all from God's Word because God has already revealed Himself to us. I don't know about you, but there's many times in my life where I say something like this, God, would you please write it in the sky for me? Would you just, just write it? Just have, have an airplane go by so that I can end it with a little sign. By, just something I want to know. And what does God always say? Nope. I've already revealed myself to you. So you're a leader at home, you're a leader in the business, you're a leader in the community, you're a leader in the church. This is your guidebook. This is your guidebook. This shows you how to make decisions. It shows you how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It shows you how to live your life. 
And what you'll discover is that in every situation, God will grant you the wisdom when you seek it out. I'll never forget. I'll never forget, several, several years ago at a, at a different church, our church was going through uh, just kind of some uh, difficulty. We were trying to find solutions to a problem. And um, it, was, it was a group of deacons and pastors, and we were all talking about the solution. But I noticed that as we were talking about the solution, not one time did we stop to pray. And so finally, and, and, and I stood up and said, man, guys, can, can we pray about this before we continue on? And no jokes, I had a pastor stand up and said this out loud. He said, I hate it when we have to go to prayer to, to solve the problem. That's what he said. Listen, prayer is the first thing we should be doing. It's never the last thing, it's always the first thing because we want God's wisdom. We want God's direction. Listen, if you're a business leader and you have some difficulties, go to God's word, go to scripture. If you're having difficulties at home and uh, wherever, go to God's word. Find the solution. Find it. Spend time on your knees. Get before the Lord. Humble yourself and say, Lord, I submit to you because I want your will to be done and I want to be a person of integrity and I just want to know how to handle this situation. Listen, God will do that every single time. He will answer that request. So a godly leader, they're committed to Christ and the church, they have integrity. They're full of the Spirit, and they're full of wisdom. And here's the last thing, and then we're going to be done. Number four, a godly leader is dependable and trustworthy. At the end of verse three, it says this, brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men whom we may put in charge of this task. One of the last requirements for these seven men was this. They had to be trustworthy so that if we gave them a task to do, they're going to go What? They're going to go do it. And they were trustworthy. Now, we admire people who do what they say they're going to do. Amen? We admire people when they say, you know what, I'm going to take care of this, and they do it. We look up to people and say, you got my word, I'm going to do it. We value those people. Those are great qualities to have. Those are qualities that you need to have, characteristic traits you need to have if you are going to be in church leadership uh, specifically. But listen to this, what Proverbs chapter 25, verse 15 says. It says this, like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of gifts he does not give. Now, what did that proverb just say? That proverb said this, said this, that if you are a person who says one thing and does not do it, you are like a cloud that looks like it's going to offer rain, but you offer nothing. Do you think Scripture values being a person of your word? Yes, it does. And one of the requirements of godly church leadership is this. You're dependable and you are trustworthy. That you do what you say you're going to do. You be a person of your word. Well, now what we have learned this morning, what we have shared this morning, it's not normal for our world, is it? This isn't what the world looks for. Our world looks for Care, it looks for charisma, looks for capabilities, and then sometimes looks at character. But not God's people. Turn with me. This is just, this is just coming into my mind. Go with me to 
make sure I get this right. Go to Matthew chapter 20. Go to Matthew chapter 20. Can y'all hang with me just about another minute or two? Go to Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. This is Jesus' definition of leadership. This is it. This is what we as God's people do. This is how we live. This is how we lead. Listen to this. But Jesus called them, the disciples, to himself, and he said this, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. Meaning this, he says, guys, look, look at the world and look how the world does it. The world's leaders want to put their thumb on you. The world's leaders want to take all the glory for themselves. The world leaders want to dictate to you. The world's leaders, they do it all for prestige. They do it for power. They do it for perks. But look what he says in verse 26. In verse 26, he says this, it is not this way among you. You, believer, you don't do it the way the world does it. You don't lead the way the world leads. You don't act the way the world acts. You don't seek the things the world, the, the world seeks. You follow me. He says this, it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your, everybody say that word, servant. Do you know what the Greek word for servant is? Diakonoi, where we get our word deacon. You are called to serve. Verse 27, and whoever wishes to be first among you, you shall be, shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Wow, that's leadership. That's how you do it. That's how you lead an organization. That's how you lead your family, and that's how you lead a church. And it all boils down to that Greek word, diakonoi, which means servant. We serve. Can you imagine if leaders lived up to the standard? Can you imagine what that would look like? I mean, it would be a radical what would take place. But if that took place, I believe this stability would come to our nation. Now let me ask you a question this morning, then we're going to be done. If you are a leader, church leader, which means deacon, uh, pastors, that means Sunday school teachers, that means whatever. If you are a leader, let me ask you this morning, is this your standard? Is this your standard? If you're not serving in church leadership, but you're a leader at school, home, business, community, let me ask you a question. Is this your standard? Is this your standard? If yes, praise be to God. But if not, today, can I ask you, are you willing? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to make this your standard. Are you willing? Are you willing to live differently than the culture? Are you willing to make difficult decisions that people don't agree with 
but it stands true with what God's word says. Are you willing? Are you willing? Are you willing to be this kind of leader? I pray that you are. Would you pray with me please? Father, we come before you today and I say thank you for our church family. Father, I pray that you will raise up the greatest and godliest leaders from out of this church. I pray, Almighty God, for businesses, the leaders of the businesses in this room, that that they would begin to lead as you lead. For leaders in our community, Father, I pray that you give them wisdom and discernment to lead as you lead. That they would seek your face and seek your wisdom in all decisions. And then, Father, I pray for our church leadership, and as we go through a selection of new deacons to serve, oh God, may our heart beat for your definition of of leadership, which is service. And may we seek these men out, and may their character bring you glory and bring you honor. And Father, for, for that character to take place, It must begin with a right relationship with you. And I pray today that in this room, everybody present, everybody hearing my voice, that they would be in a right relationship with you. And maybe somebody's here this morning is not in a relationship with you. If that's you out here hearing my voice, if you're not in a relationship with Jesus, I pray today that you would commit to Jesus because he's already given his life for you. And I pray that you would humble yourself at the foot of the cross and commit to him. Oh God, hear our cries and hear our pleas for you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.